Hey, Harbor family, how are we doing today? Doing okay. Okay. All right. Maybe not as well as we could be. I can understand. I was reading an article this week about how rates of anxiety are way up this year. Anxiety. And, you know, we, we went through the lockdown and anxiety was way up for that. And then things got better. But apparently over the last year, people are more and more anxious again. They're calling this post-pandemic anxiety. And I read some of the symptoms. Let's, let's see if you qualify for this. Uh, first symptom is difficulty managing stress. I don't know if you've noticed that in your life lately because you always had to deal with work stress and financial stress and family stress and relationship stress. Now you got health stress added on top of that. Like maybe you wake up with a little tickle in your throat. Now you got to wonder, oh man, did I get the Rona? Do I have to like let people know that I'm going to dinner with tonight that I got a sore throat? It's stressful trying to navigate this, this new thing that we got to worry about. Or another symptom is higher levels of exhaustion. Because during the pandemic, you got used to doing a whole lot of nothing. And now every conference and trip and family gathering that was postponed over the last three years all got scheduled for this year, right? It all got rescheduled for now, so you got events happening like twice as many as you ever had. You got to juggle all those. It's stressful, I know. Another symptom is self-isolation, because during lockdown, you got used to being alone, and maybe you started to kind of like it, and so now that you're going back into all these meetings and events and gatherings, you're not liking that so much, and so it's a little stressful being around people again. And so that's why rates of anxiety, they're through the roof. You add on the possibility of a recession coming, and, and people are really anxious this year. That's what they're saying. They also say people have different ways of dealing with it. Uh, some people deal with anxiety and insecurity just through abdication. Just ignore it. Try and get away from it. Just don't deal with it. Avoid the situations and the people that might aggravate it. Other people cover up anxiety and insecurity through arrogance. They, they overcompensate for it and just be intentionally offensive, maybe even aggressive. And so that's why rates of bullying and violence have been way up over the past year. So are those the only two options to deal with anxiety like we're dealing with right now? Either abdication or arrogance. Either lack of confidence or overconfidence. Are those the only two options we got? Thankfully not. Paul's going to show us today there's a third option. Not lack of confidence or overconfidence, Christ-centered confidence. If you've got your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. And today we're going to see that it is possible to be confident, fearless, bold, secure, not because of who you are or what you've done, because of who Christ is and what he's done. That's going to be the good news that we get today. So let's pray. Then we'll dive into it. Father, thank you so much that we can be confident. We can be bold. We can be secure because of everything that we have in Christ. Lord, help us to see what we have in Christ and know how little we deserve it so that we don't have to fall into either abdication or arrogance, but we can just be lifted up into Christ-centered confidence. Help us to see everything that we have because of everything that Christ has done. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 3.18. Look at what it says. 
Paul says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, all right, you think you're wise in this age? Yeah, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. What is he saying? Arrogance and pride aren't the answer. That's how we overcompensate for anxiety. We, we try and be aggressive and, and arrogant. He's saying that's not the answer. We're fools. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. Yeah, when we try and mask our insecurity by trying to show how wise we are, God's going to bring that to light. So verse 21, let no one boast in human leaders for everything is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours and you belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. Family, there's some mind-blowing, breathtaking truths that we just read, telling you why you can have Christ-centered confidence. Here's number one, because you are wise. Maybe you didn't feel this way before you came in this morning, but Paul said in verse 18, if you become a fool, that's because you're becoming wise. In other words, if you've accepted the foolishness of the cross, if you've put your trust in this homeless rabbi who was abused and mocked and killed, then Paul says, that's because you're wise. You're wise. And that is really good news for me. It's really reassuring for me because a lot of times these days, I feel really confused. I just walk around confused a lot of the time. Like when I was picking up donuts for the staff meeting last week and I'm just picking up a box of donuts and then, Swipe my card, and the tip prompt pops up, and the minimum is 20%. I'm looking at that screen going, man, am I really going to give you 20%, 25%, 30% to hand me a box? Am I going to do that, or am I going to be the jerk that hits no tip right in front of you? Am I going to be that guy? I'm just so confused a lot of the time. When, when I'm saying, how's it, and I go in for the handshake, and you go in for the fist bump, what do I do? You know, do I wait for you to switch to the handshake? Do I switch to the fist bump? Do I, do I just go in for the, the gear shift? You know, what do, I, what do I do here? I'm just so confused all the time. And that's why it's so reassuring for Paul to tell me, no, you're wise. You're gaining the wisdom of the cross. You can only accept the foolishness of the cross if God has given you his supernatural wisdom. Because it says in Colossians 2, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Fam, if you are connected to Christ, you are connected to his wisdom, the wisdom of the cross. And the wisdom of the cross is radically different from the wisdom of this world or, or the wisdom of traditional religion. It's totally different from that. When you're going through a season of suffering, the wisdom of the world will tell you that it's okay to do whatever you gotta do to get out of the suffering, right? Lie, cheat, steal, whatever it takes to make life easier, that's what you gotta do. That's what the wisdom of the world will tell you. The wisdom of religion will tell you you don't deserve to be suffering because you've been faithful to God. You don't deserve this, and so you end up mad at God. That's the wisdom of traditional religion, but the wisdom of the cross will tell you if you're suffering, well, Christ suffered, and so why should we expect anything different if we're followers of Christ? You'll see how God is using suffering 
to make you look more like Christ. The wisdom of the cross is totally different. When you come across someone on the street who's suffering, the wisdom of this world will tell you that he's just a victim of society. He just needs a handout. He doesn't need religion shoved on him. That's what the wisdom of this world will tell you. The wisdom of traditional religion will tell you that he's getting what he deserved. You are way more holy than him. You don't owe him anything. He's getting what he deserved. Well, the wisdom of the cross will tell you that you are just as spiritually poor as he is physically poor, and you are both in desperate need of God's grace. And so you won't have any problem giving him exactly what he needs, whether that's physical or spiritual. The wisdom of the cross is radically different. When you're dealing with some kind of conflict in a relationship, the wisdom of the world will tell you, just compromise. Just find a place in the middle where both people are equally unhappy. That's where you should end up. The wisdom of religion will tell you it's the other person's fault because you're more holy than that person. Well, the wisdom of the cross will tell you to give and serve and sacrifice just like Jesus gave and served and sacrificed for you. The wisdom of the cross is foolishness to the world, but that's the path to Christ-centered confidence. So lean into it. Lean into the wisdom of the cross. You've got it. You're wise if you're in Christ. And then here's another reason you can have Christ-centered confidence. Number two, you're rich. Not only are you wise, you are rich. Because Paul said in verse 21, let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours. Did you catch that? Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours. That's such a mind-blowing thought. Paul had to repeat it twice just to make sure it sinks in. You own everything in the universe because you're a child of the king of the universe. You know what that means? You are wealthy, but it's old money rich, not new money rich. You're old money rich. When you're new money rich, you work for all your money, and so you feel the need to flash all your money. When you're old money rich, you inherited all your money, so you can just just enjoy it, not make a big deal about it. When you're new money rich, you serve the things that you own. You got to make payments on the big house and the new Lambo. When you're old money rich, the things you own serve you. You got a nest egg that just pays you a monthly income. You got an old house that you can just enjoy because it serves you well. You, You probably drive an old Lexus that's comfortable and nice and, and, and reliable. Guess what, family? You are old money rich. That's what you are. The oldest money in the world. So everything in the world serves you. Look again at what Paul said in verse 22. The world, life, death, things present or things to come, everything is yours. Crazy. Paul says the world is yours. In all its beauty and all of its ugliness. And all of its glory and nobility and all of its corruption and sin, it serves you. The world serves you. You're not a victim of the world. You own this world. Paul says, life is yours. In pleasure and in pain, it serves you. Because God is working all things in life together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. So you're not just surviving in life, you are thriving in life. You're dominating 
life. It's yours. Paul says death is yours. Yeah, it might win the battle, but it won't win the war because Christ won the victory over death at the cross. And so now death serves you. It's yours. I love how John Piper said it. Death serves you while you live to make you wise and serious and fruitful. And death serves you when you die to bring you home to Jesus. Death is yours. It's yours. Paul says the present is yours. The present time that you're living through right now. Time isn't your enemy like it feels like all the time. Time is your servant. I know when you're young, you feel like you got way too much time. You're bored. When you're old like me, you feel like you never have enough time. There's never enough. But you're not a victim of time. You're the owner of time. It's, it's yours. And then Paul says, the future is yours. And that truth right there, that's the secret to annihilating anxiety. Understanding that the future isn't something to fear. It's something to anticipate. It's, it's something that serves you. Because whatever's coming in the future, whatever is coming, God is going to bend it into a blessing. That's what Paul said in Romans 8. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come in the future will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yep, in the future, you might lose the deal. In the future, you might lose the house. In the future, you might lose the friend. But you're never going to lose the love of God. You'll experience more of his love through the loss, whatever it is you experience. You'll see more of the riches of his love. And that's how you build Christ-centered confidence, knowing that you are wise through Jesus, knowing that you are rich through Jesus. And then, number three, knowing that you are approved through Jesus. You're approved. Skip ahead to chapter four, verse three. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. And so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes. We'll both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. It's such a powerful weapon against insecurity and anxiety. Paul's going, I really don't care what anybody thinks about me. I really don't care. How many of us could say the same thing? I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Maybe you're pretty confident. You're pretty secure. You're, you're, you're pretty far on the spectrum of security. And so you feel like, well, I don't... I don't I don't care what most people think about me. Well, I guarantee there's at least a couple people, at least a few, and you really care what they think about you. The boss you're trying to impress. The leader of the field that you're trying to break into. The new friend you just started hanging out with. The guy or the girl who's slightly out of your league, but you really want to date. The mother-in-law who's always got a comment about everything you do. Whether you admit it or not, there's somebody whose opinion of you really matters to you. But Paul's going, hey, 
I don't care what anybody's opinion is of me. My identity isn't tied to what other people think about me. And a lot of people in our culture would say, hey, amen to that. Amen to that. Don't live for what your parents think, what society thinks. Don't live for what your teachers think, your friends think. You got to be true to yourself, right? It's graduation season. That's what almost every valedictorian is saying in every graduation besides the HBA graduation because the valedictorian is a harbor folk. And so uh, they know better than that. Almost every other graduation, they're saying that. You just got to be true to yourself. Every Disney movie says that. You just got to be true to yourself. Don't listen to what other people say. Listen to what your heart says. Well, that's not what Paul's saying here. Not at all. He says, it's of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. In other words, I don't care what you think, but I also don't care what I think. I've got a very low opinion of your opinion of me, but I've also got a very low opinion of my opinion of me. We could both be wrong. Why is that? I'm not conscious of anything against myself. That's what Paul says. I'm not conscious of anything I've done wrong, but I'm not justified by this. What is he saying? I've got a clear conscience, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. I feel like I'm not guilty, but that doesn't make me not guilty. You know that, right? Try using that kind of defense the next time you get pulled over. Sir, do you know you were doing 85 in a 35? Yeah, but I don't feel like that should be wrong. I feel like the speed limit should be 85. How far is that going to get you? Man, you are not a very good judge of whether you're guilty or innocent. You're not. And so that's why Paul says, it's of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. It is the Lord who judges me. I don't care what you think of me, but I don't care what I think of me. We could both be wrong. What matters is what the Lord thinks of me. And that was settled at the cross. That was settled at the cross. Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who is against us? Romans 8, 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, then all of the condemnation you deserve was given to him. And all of the love that he deserves was given to you. And so you don't have to worry about what other people think about you. You don't have to worry about what you think of you. You're freed to just stop thinking about you all the time. You know how freeing that is? That's the secret to overcoming anxiety and insecurity. It's not thinking more of yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's the secret. There's so much freedom in life when you stop making everything in life about you. Tim Keller, who recently just died, unfortunately, just a couple weeks ago, he called it The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And he wrote a little book with that title. We've got it in the bookstore. It's only a dollar, all right? It's the best dollar you will ever spend. His point is that God doesn't want you to be self-hating or self-loving. God wants you to just be self-forgetful. 
Just stop thinking about yourself all the time. Let me read you a little quote from the screen, uh, from the book. Well, we got it on the screen. He says, wouldn't you like to be a person who doesn't need honor but isn't afraid of it? Someone who doesn't lust for recognition but isn't scared to death of it? Don't you want to be the kind of person who, when they see themselves reflected in a window, doesn't admire what they see but doesn't cringe either? Wouldn't that be amazing? There's so much freedom in life when you stop making everything in life about you. You'll see coworkers get promotions and raises and and you'll be freed to celebrate with them instead of getting bitter at them. You'll see family members, you'll see friends get blessings that you don't have and you'll be freed to praise God with them, to rejoice with them instead of being jealous of them. You know how freeing that is? That's the kind of freedom that comes with Christ-centered confidence. When you realize that in Christ you are wise, you are rich, and you're approved, and so you're free to just stop thinking about you all the time. You're freed from anxiety and insecurity and arrogance and vanity. You're freed from it all. So here's the next question. Once you get there, what are you going to do with that kind of confidence? What what are you going to do with it? Are are you just going to sit around and and just kind of bask in this confidence, in this freedom that you have? That's not what Paul did. Go back to the verse we skipped. Go back to verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. Look at what Paul says. A person should think of us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. So when you've found Christ-centered confidence, here's what you do with your confidence. Number one, be a servant. Be a servant, a servant of Christ, like Paul says. And what's interesting is that Paul doesn't use the typical Greek word for servant here. It's not doulos. He uses another word that literally translated means under rower. Like, not the chief rower, the second or third or fourth rower, an an under rower. If you've ever been in a canoe club, you know how that works. When you first start paddling, you're not in the first seat. You're not the first rower. You're not the one setting the pace. You're not the last one. You're not the one steering the boat. You're somewhere in the middle. You're rowing along with the pace that the first person sets, and you're going wherever the last person decides to steer the boat. That's what Paul is calling you. You're in the middle. And so when you've got Christ-centered confidence, you're content to just be in the middle. You're content to just paddle hard and serve Christ and and serve your hui. Just be a servant. Now, I know, I mean, if, if you're a Christian, yeah, we want to be seen as servants. We know that's what we should be. The problem is none of us want to be treated like servants. We just don't. Like, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, I was, I was volunteering at the, the Kakako Kako neighborhood breakfast. And uh, after it was all done, we were putting away the tables. And there was a young guy there who had been volunteering at the breakfast but had never been to our church. And so uh, I'm, I'm putting some of the tables into the kinky rooms. And he's like, hey, those don't go there. Those go in the storage closet. And at that moment in my flesh, 
what I want to say is, bro, bro, do you know who I am? All right? That's what I want to say. I planted this church when you were still in kindergarten. That's what I want to say in that moment. But fortunately, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my tongue just in time. So I was like, oh, well, I, I think they might need a couple tables in the cakey room. Why don't we go ask Mike and see what he says? He'll agree with me because I'm his boss. That's what I wanted to say. I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit still had a hold of my tongue. We, we just went to Mike and we're like, hey, should, should we put some tables in there? Mike's like, yeah, why don't you do that? All right, we'll do that. Now, this doesn't happen every time, but at least that time, I was able to let go of myself and my ego and take myself out of the equation and just serve. That doesn't happen every time. But when it does happen, it's glorious. So what about you? What about you? Maybe you're a leader, maybe you're a boss, a business owner. Do you see your role as an opportunity to serve Christ and serve others? Or is your leadership role primarily about serving yourself? Maybe you're a worker. Do you see your job as an opportunity to serve Christ and serve others? Or is your job pretty much about serving you and your desires? Maybe you're a parent. Are you looking for ways to shepherd your kids and serve your kids? Or are you looking for ways your kids can serve you? And that can be as subtle as hoping your kids reflect well on you through their success in school and sports and in life. Are you looking for ways to serve others or for ways that others can serve you? Well, when you remember that you are wise in Christ and rich in Christ and approved in Christ, that frees you. It frees you to serve others and stop serving yourself. So be a servant. And then number two, be a manager. Paul says it this way, a manager of the mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of God? Well, Peter clarifies that. 1 Peter 4.10, he says, you're a manager of God's grace. You're a manager of God's grace. Let me ask you, how much grace does God have? Man, 1 Timothy 1, it says his grace overflows. There's no way you can contain his grace. Ephesians 2 says the riches of his grace are immeasurable. There's no way you can count it. Can't even count it. So the image we get is that we're swimming in this pool full of gold coins, just immeasurable, uncontainable, uncountable amount of God's grace. There's just so much of it. That's what God's grace is like, and you're a manager of it. What a crazy job description that is. If God gave us business cards, mine would say Matt Dirks, Vice President of Grace, and yours would say exactly the same thing. We're managers of grace. So the next question is, well, how do you manage God's grace? What do you do with it? The way you manage God's grace is by sharing God's grace. Like it says in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Don't just hoard the hope that you have and keep it just for you. You gotta share that hope with the people around you. Share God's grace with the people around you. Now, Jesus said, you also can't cast your pearls before swine. 
which doesn't mean that there are some people who are pigs who don't deserve God's grace as much as you do. That's not what he means at all. What that means is there are some people who can't appreciate God's grace yet. Not yet. Like pearls can't be appreciated by pigs. They're just going to look at them, eat them like they eat everything else, and then poop them. That's all that pigs are going to do with pearls. And so there's some people who, who aren't quite ready for the fullness of God's grace. So you've got to be a wise manager of God's grace. Wise. You've got to share it appropriately at the right time with the right tone. Make sure that it can be appreciated by the people that you're sharing it with. But you can do that. You can be bold if you have Christ-centered confidence. You can share the source of joy and hope that you have and not worry about what people will think or how they'll respond. If you've got the confidence of Christ, you can do that. So be a servant, be a manager, and then last, be faithful. Be faithful. Paul said it is required that managers be found faithful. Family, you are faithful to something. The only question is what that thing is. You're faithful to something. If I were to ask to see your calendar and just kind of page through your calendar, if I, if I were to ask to see your credit card statements and just kind of page through those, if I were to ask to see your journal and just read some of the things that you're really thinking about, if I piece together all of those puzzle pieces, I would be able to pull together something that you're faithful to. So, is that something your Savior? Is that something your Savior? What are you devoting your time and your money and your energy to? Is it your Savior or is it yourself? Are you chasing more of Jesus or are you chasing more stuff, more experiences, more money, more security, more comfort, more pleasure? You won't feel the need to chase any of that anymore when you realize what you have in Christ and what you are in Christ, when you realize that you are wise in Christ, you are rich in Christ, and you are approved in Christ. And that's what makes you confident and secure and content in Christ. There is so much freedom that comes being in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, these are some mind-blowing things that you've revealed in your word today. Everything is ours? That, that just seems crazy. That can't be true. But you've said it. So we have to believe it. We have to believe that everything in this world, everything in the present, everything in the future was given by you as our servant to bless us, save us, redeem us, transform us, equip us, and empower us to be servants, managers, and be faithful through it all. Thank you for everything that we have in Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would just be captivated dumbfounded, blown away by what we have so that we can become your servants at all times. 
Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.